0: Welcome to De Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur and founder at Air Manual. I'm delighted to be joined today by an incredible guest, uh, a person who uh, I've <laughs> I've been watching when, whenever we when we started uh, doing this series on cash flow. Uh, I was reaching out for where am I going to get the most value? Where am I going to get the most insight from really experienced people? And the person's name that came up again and again for me was Clayton M. Coke. Uh, the reason being is that he has had an incredible career uh, going from legal executive all the way up to, uh, to founding and managing his own business that help, helps uh, other business leaders to manage debt and improve cash flow, and himself is the host of the cash flow show in which uh, he works with and talks to other business leaders about the sorts of challenges that they have. So as a result, I'm really looking forward to going deep into some of the challenges and uh, some of the experiences that Clayton has had, uh, both himself, but also with his clients and even guests on his podcast. Uh, Clayton, welcome to the podcast.
1: Alexis, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to sharing what I know and hearing about your experiences as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you, and uh, uh, I really want to start off, I guess, with your journey. I want to um, people to hear about uh, some of the steps that you went through, and particularly what moments kind of led you to go down that journey of looking at cash flow and debt management and so on. Because you know, it's not. It's not necessarily the natural way that all of us end up looking at things. So so, um, tell us a bit about your journey and particularly those uh, those trigger points that meant that this was an area of focus for you.
1: Well, for me, it goes back probably now, maybe about 23 years. God, Mm -hmm. that's a long time. But it is. Um, Ultimately, what I did, I left school and I decided I wanted to get into law. So I became at the time what they describe as an outdoor clerk, which is basically like a runner. You went to the courts, you delivered stuff. You got a feel for what the court system was like, which is Mm -hmm. much different than it is nowadays where a lot of the courts are shut. So you had to go and deliver applications. You had to go to a barrister's chambers. And for example, I worked for a very small firm called Parker Thomas and Partners, which is in Mm -hmm. the basement um uh, in kingsway uh the front office the front of it was in kingsway the back end of it was in lincoln's 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 Fields. it backed onto there and we were about 10 doors up from the queen's solicitors farrah and co or the, um i think they're probably king charles's solicitors now anyway but it was in the center of effectively where everything was as far as um the law was concerned up the road from the law society and the royal courts of justice so i started there And after a while, I thought, you know, I'd always wanted to be involved in law. That was my thing. It was, I'd watched all these TV programs and I was really into it in a big way. And as a result of that, I then basically signed up as an outdoor clerk and did that for a little while and decided I wanted to progress. And the next progression was as a legal executive. And legal executives have changed now because they effectively do exactly the same work as a solicitor and get exactly the same um, uh, respect and recognition. But at that time, you were just underneath um, uh, the sort of level of what solicitors were. But obviously, there were a lot of people who had been legal execs who were incredibly well qualified, but they were also had the practical skills because a lot of people had gone to university. And they'd done a law degree or whatever, and obviously then done the legal practice course. But they didn't have the experience of getting mm. shouted at by the judge. No. And that <laughs> that is character building. You know, mm. one of the things that would happen to you would be you would get up, um, uh, you would have a set of papers, and you'd be told to go to an application in front of the judge. He would then kick your backside. Then you would go back to the office and you would amend that. And then you would bring it back and then you would get your ass kicked again (laughs) until you got it right. So it built up a certain amount of um, resilience. It was a certain Mm. amount of character building, but you learned to get things right. But what you also learned, which was almost as a side issue, you learned to deal with people. And that was it. That was the key factor, for example. A lot of people would come say from outside of london into the court system and they would come and say i'm a solicitor from dorset and i want you to do this blah 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 and the court staff would look at them and say of course we'll take that from you and put it to the bottom of the bar however for those people who had built relationships and i'll come back to relationships again who had built relationships relationships over a period of time Mm -hmm. court staff you could come in at one minute to half past four or one minute to four o'clock whenever it was going to close and you could get something done because you had a relationship. So that's how the legal side started. And I'd been doing that for some considerable time. And I then started to almost sort of fall out of love with it to a certain extent. I wanted to move away because I then moved on to local authority and Mm -hmm. I was a local authority lawyer for quite a while. We did a lot of things to do with housing, uh, lots of tenancy disputes. Uh, At that time, I was working for the London Borough of Hackney and there were lots of squatters in Hackney at that time. And a lot of and. I suppose it was a time when Hackney wasn't as gentrified as it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, um, It's been become gentrified quite heavily over the last few years. And in doing so, the whole outlook changed. So apart from being a haven for squatters as it was now, it's now become so gentrified and so arty, it's a completely different place. But then it was pretty rough to say the least. Yeah. But I realized after a while that it was time to sort of leave there and do something different. At the back of my mind, I'd always wanted to do a business or be in business, but I didn't want yeah. to necessarily be in business As a lawyer, as a pure lawyer, that that didn't excite me, but I I'd always dreamed of being a commander, a a leader of my own destiny. That's what I I I wanted to do. So in doing so, I then basically thought, right, I'm going to stop doing this stuff. I'm just going to stop being involved in law and I'm going to do something completely different. But there's a scene in The Godfather where I think it's The Godfather episode three or version three, where uh, Michael Corleone says, "Every time I tried to get away, they just pull me back in." Yeah, that's that was my relationship with the law because everybody kept on saying, "Oh, I noticed you did law. I wonder if you'd be, you know, open to doing this." I thought, "Oh, I'm trying to get away from this, but it's what I knew and it paid, so I ended up doing it." And then one day, I got a call from an agency because, in back in the day, there were loads of agencies that did lots of locum work. Mm-hmm. so they would go and find you work all all over the place and they said oh we've got um a job and it's in hatfield i said where's hatfield i'm i'm a london guy and um yeah <laughs> you know, not that far out <laughs> it's not but it's not a place that i'd ever been to so i thought 25 <laughs> the tube map that i had of the, the extended greater london tube map at the time yeah. and found that hatford was hatfield was in hertfordshire so i thought oh, okay this could be different they said oh you know it's a it's a debt recovery debt collection job and i'd never done pure debt collection and i thought mm, i quite fancy that let me give that a try so i turned up and it was for the british nursing association which my friends were teasing me about but i'm uh I managed to get through that, and so I turned up and they said, well, here's a desk, here's a chair, we've got some filing cabinets here, get on with it. So I was then thrown sort of head first, headlong into this um, um, uh, debt recovery role. Mm -hmm. And obviously I'd had dealings with the court, I'd basically issued proceedings and so on and so forth. So it wasn't anything that was completely alien, but it was a completely different situation. So that was my first pure debt recovery role. And I did that for, it was supposed to be for three months and I stayed for nearly two years. Yeah, okay. And they then sort of called me in one day and said, well, you know, we really enjoyed working with you, but there's no more work left. You've cleared it. Brilliant. You've
0: made yourself redundant because of your success. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good.
1: So that was the end of that. And I thought, but maybe I could do this for a living. Maybe I could be that guy that could do this for people who are not necessarily as big as the company I'm working for. Nice, but for smaller businesses, and that started the journey.
0: That's amazing. And so, yeah, so you, so your journey around helping initially the nursing association to get cash in and get uh, its debtors to pay led to you going well actually maybe I could help others to do that which is awesome because it's an area that so many people find um, difficult terrifying like an area that they want to to avoid Mm. Um, but for you I mean you've you've gone further then because you you could have just said oh yeah I'm going to provide a bit of a service agency where you give us a load of invoices, we chase them up for you. But that isn't what you've done, right? You've gone you've gone way further into uh, the industry in terms of helping people with the understanding and the coping with it and, you know, through your podcasts and so on. So what can you perhaps share some, you know, moments in your life experiences that have really fueled your passion for, for helping businesses handle their debt and cash flow rather than, as I say, rather than just doing a bit of processing?
1: I think for me, I realized very early on that debt recovery or late payments or whatever people want to describe it as, has more to do with your mindset and your personal feeling. When Mm -hmm. I first started, people would dive into the toilets as soon as I mentioned debt recovery. And there is still an incredible stigma about debt recovery and debt collection. It really is. A thing that makes a lot of businesses feel very very uncomfortable but what i realized early on i one of my first clients was a lady when i started I, I knew nothing about business at all whatsoever i'd always worked for someone or worked for a local authority so it wasn't about me necessarily generating profit so my role really was to come in do the job get the job done and i would be paid a salary. But what I realized was, was that in doing so, I then had to not just recover money, but I had to change somebody's mindset mm. and the mindset is mo- what's most important because a lot of people, their mindset is based on where they're from. So when I speak to Americans about debt recovery or late payments, their attitude is completely different. I did a job for you, buddy, you owe me money, you pay me. You know, there's a scene in Goodfellas. Sorry, I'll keep mentioning gangster movies. I am not a hot and (laughs) I'm gangster, I swear, but there is a great analogy to be. Or film critic. (laughs) (laughs) And where Ray Liotta says it in Goodfellas, you know, such and such and such, you pay me, such and such and such, Mm. you pay me. It doesn't matter what the circumstances, and that's the American mentality. The British mentality is, oh, could you see your way clear to offering me some of that money that you, you promised me, etc., etc.? It's a different mentality. And one of the first jobs that I had when I started, it was really small. It was a lady, she was a cleaning lady. And she'd done some cleaning for a lady in Blackheath, which is in Southeast London, okay. at one of the posher ends of Southeast London. And she'd done this job and she'd obviously left her home and did the cleaning, but she wasn't getting paid. And I think she must've found me in what would have been probably the yellow pages back in the day and decided to, to call. And it wasn't a massive amount of money. It was actually quite a small amount of money, relatively. But it was the principle and the fact of, I don't do this because of purely the money. The money's helpful because that's how you run your business. But the fact is, it's the principle that a person whether they're a small business, a medium business, has done some work in the in the promise or with the promise of getting yep. paid. And our job is to help that smaller business deal with this almost Samson and Goliath relationship. And it, th- that relationship in terms of that lady who was a cleaner and who is effectively someone who um, was quite well-to-do, she just mm. wouldn't pay her. And I suppose that gets me going. So that gives mm. me something to get my teeth into. Because if somebody says, I don't have it and I can't pay it, that's one thing. But when somebody then belittles somebody and then says, well, I don't think that you're worthy of being paid, that to me is wrong. And I would I'd rather take that case than take a case for somebody who basically is it's a massive amount of money because it's not the money. It's the fact that justice hasn't been served. That's the most important thing.
0: Love that. So which which link, links beautifully back to where you started, right, in your in your legal role and, uh, uh, yeah, upholding those values. That's awesome. And I mean, for you um, working with those those individuals, those businesses where, as you say, it's like the David and Goliath thing where like it's the uh, the the underdog um, uh, wanting the money from the others. Um, what does that I mean you've worked with so many clients in the space like what does that feel like to them you know what's what kind of situation are you often helping people out of because generally when people are looking for help around cash flow or debt recovery or whatever it is rarely is it a case of oh yeah no, everything's fine you know I just I was just thinking it'd be good if we got this one invoice paid it's annoying it's slightly annoying to me like that's not where they're at emotionally is it like what what Paint us a picture of what it's actually like for a business leader who's in that space.
1: It depends on the size, but normally you've got say maybe a medium business. Maybe they can be in a position where they are, they have a bigger business and there's a 30,000 pound invoice that's outstanding. That's for a sort of, sort of media business. Okay. They're sitting there thinking to themselves, this 30,000 pounds is sitting on the ledger. It's not moving. It's not going anywhere. If there's more than one person involved in the business, other people are looking at that and saying, why isn't this being collected? Yeah. Where is this going? What And that then adds pressure. And that's what the start of it. If you take it to a smaller business, the invoice might be smaller, it might be 5,000 pounds. But when an average mortgage is probably 1,500 uh, uh, um, uh, a month, a couple of those, or two, two or three months, that's wiped out that invoice. But yeah. then you then get the pressure because you can't really talk to other people about because they don't seem to understand. You can talk to your partner and your partner might say, well, yes, dear, I see where you're coming from. But can't you just ask them for it? But it doesn't work that way because you've now built up a relationship. And mm. the re- this is where relationships happen. Most people meet people through networking yep. or some kind of networking, whether online or whatever the case may be. And so you that m- meet that person and then you then choose to start b- doing business with them. Mm. Most people don't understand the analogy between business and dating. It's incredibly similar, very, very similar, but people choose not to acknowledge it. If you go on to, say, Tinder, I don't know whether you swipe left or right. I'm out of that game, so I don't know what you do. But if you pick a person who is completely unknown to you, and then you then meet that person and have a physical relationship with them, You don't know really what you're going to get or what you're being involved in. Most people who have business relationships with people are with people they know nothing about. So that leaves them open to that Mm. situation where that person may or may not pay. Now, what the thing is, apart from the not being paid, it's the embarrassment. Men and women deal with debt recovery completely different. Women are more likely to say, Hi, Clayton, can you look at this for me because this isn't right or I'm not being paid? Whereas men still have a bit of the ego about them and they think, oh, you know, I I know I'm in problem and I know I'm in a problematic situation. I know I'm in difficulty, but I don't want to do anything about it. So that impels on the stress. Then if you're a part of a couple or in a relationship and somebody's not necessarily seeing it to pull, pull be pulling their weight, that puts a pressure on the relationship, which makes home life difficult. If you're working from home at the same time as then running your business and you're in debt, the situation exacerbates. And that's where the pressure is. Because a lot of business owners are under pressure. And sometimes they just need that person that says, what went wrong what's the is, is this a bad deal is this something that i am never going to get the money back from what's going on here because a lot of people get a telephone call at five o'clock on a friday and they think wow i haven't had any business all week this person's offering me a deal and it's you know five grand 10 grand 15 grand it's more money than i'm used to and they then basically start a business relationship with them and then find themselves in the position going oh my god you know, I've done all this work. I remember chasing a particular case where my client was a graphic designer and this guy had spun him some stories. I'm never to. he was, um, his dad was a banker an international financier or whatever the case may be. And, but he couldn't pay my client's debt because, oh, it was a terrible situation. His bank account wasn't open and it had been frozen by somebody else. It was complete nonsense but my client was 30 grand in the hole. And when you rang the debtor, he was in, oh God, he he, he was on some tropical island, basically. That's where oh, really? I can't remember where it, which one he was on, but he had no intention of paying my yeah. client whatsoever. But my client had extended too much credit.
0: Wow. And so, I mean, when it comes to cash flow and managing debt, and particularly when we're talking about on the on the invoice invoicing side, there's two sides to this, right? There's there's those businesses where they're struggling with cash flow, perhaps largely because they're struggling to get paid on the work that they've done, that they've invoiced, that they're owed. And as a result, they um you know, end up with invoices that are 30 days 60 90 120 plus overdue and as a result that is a nightmare for for cash uh, management and and for uh, having cash uh, in the business and then of course there's businesses that might be listening to this where maybe they've done a bit more cash management and so that it's less about pulling money in but maybe they're in a position where They, for various reasons, you know, tricky situations in the market or uh, their own mistakes, whatever it is that they're in a situation where they're in debt and that they um, that they owe people. So you know, and that, as you say, that pressure can build up really heavily. uh, Either because you haven't got cash, because you uh, are struggling to get it in, or you haven't got cash because you owe too many people, and so on. Like getting into that position, I think, can be really lonely as well for people, right? Because Um, it it, ultimately running out of cash is a heart attack it kills the business uh, if you uh, completely run out of it and often it's something that you can't talk about with other people you you know with clients, suppliers etc without almost making some of those problems worse and as you say it's it's very stressful for relationships if you share with your partner and uh, and they may not uh, fully understand why solving it isn't easy or how you could even get into that situation so help help us see the way out of these problems whether it's a business leader who you know has got a situation where they've got too much that is owed to them or a business leader that's uh, got too much debt and it, of course the answer it might be both because it might be that they've struggled to get money in and therefore they're struggling to pay what does that that look like i know that um you know from uh, your podcast and, and from uh, content that you put out you talk about uh, things like toxic debt and so on like help us understand perhaps use a real life example take us through going from being in real trouble um, and how that can be transformed where what's the starting point uh, for, for someone in that situation
1: the starting point is sitting down With a large cup of coffee or a large <laughs> cup of tea yeah. and opening all the envelopes that you haven't opened, wow, that on its own,
0: I can imagine for many people is incredibly painful I know I, I know of one particular business owner um, who uh, I've interviewed on this podcast, who I know that he developed a phobia of uh i think brown envelopes uh, because they tended to contain invoices and uh, requests for payment uh, that he uh, was unable to pay and so the first suggestion that you're making is open them all up
1: oh you need to brew the strongest coffee you can find the strongest cup of tea you need to brew some builders tea if you're a tea tea drinker and you need to sit down and open up those things it will be painful Mm-hmm. It will be hell, but once you've got it all out there all of, they're all open, all the debts are there, and you then basically sit down and calculate exactly how much you owe as a debtor, let's say yep. that's your first step to acknowledgement. Mm. I used to hang around with a guy who was um a chap who dealt in consumer debt or or or, or, or individual debt. And he always used to say it was before he became a debt counsellor, he was a drug and alcohol counsellor. And one of the things in terms of drug and alcohol counselling is that you have to acknowledge that you've got a problem.
0: Yeah, love that. M-
1: Most people don't acknowledge that they've got, sometimes you've got to sit down and just do the maths. You've got, and, you know, if you feel that you you haven't got the nerve, because you, sometimes you can see the maths and you'll pass out. Because you realize how much, because whatever you think you owe, there's a bit on top that you probably don't realize that you owe. So get that all out in the open. In the current climate, you've got to realize there is no more free money. Second thing, no more free, there is, nobody's going to give you 0% interest rates, 1% interest rates to to come and save you. That was 10 years ago. So that's gone. So now you've got to deal with exactly what it is that you owe, then you move on to the next problem or the next situation is how much is owed to you. Mm. So you then look at the invoices because you know you always used to see those programs used to be on many years ago, and um, and where people would find money down the back of a sofa,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah the cash in the asset the cash in the sofa yeah it's
1: yeah because there's cash everywhere that's the reason why ebay exists there's cash everywhere yeah now what most people don't realize is that their invoices contain cash yeah they're not just invoices there we are on bits of paper they they've Mm. got cash there that's the key thing so therefore you've got to look at your invoices and let's just say your invoices are uh, 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 £10,100 owed to you. But at the yeah. same time, you're in a position where you owe 9900 If you are successful in collecting your invoices, that then wipes out your debt. Yeah. This is on a small level. So uh, let's yeah, not do yeah. big numbers. And all scale, scale,
0: right? Right? Yeah. it all scales, right? But it all scales. It's all relative, right? You know yeah. What you're saying is that, if it's a larger business it's it's the same game and principle. but uh, and, and often the nature of it is that it's similar it's um they're often not far away from each other in terms of those two numbers so exactly. i love that the so starting point is get absolutely clear on those two piles the yes. uh, amount to pay the amount uh, well <laughs> on both sides the amount to pay others the amount to be paid to you get clarity on what those number uh, those numbers are what the total amount is and of course if you've got Um, up-to-date bookkeeping in your accounting system that's easy to see right you can go see that on your balance sheet you'll see that as your accounts receivable in your accounts payable and you'll be able to see how that matched up cool love that as a starting point of getting clarity on the situation
1: exactly so you've got clarity now so you know exactly the thing so that you know that there's no free money to rescue so the next problem that you have is is that for some strange reason and i don't know why this is i still haven't got to the bottom of it Larger debts appear to be easier to collect than smaller debts. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that is. But if somebody comes up with a debt of £500, it always seems quite difficult to collect.
0: Mm. But the Those 5000 5, 000, or the £15,000 um, yeah.
1: debt, so always factor that into the situation. Yeah. Anything over 90 days, you need to be... Working with that straight away, mm. straight away. Anything over 90 days. Of, I think there was a, a a report done by the Federation of Small Businesses for 2022, which based worked out quarter. It was released in March 23, but said that 52 businesses, 52 percent of businesses had experienced late payment and 25 percent had reported increased late payment. That's probably gone up since then. Um, uh, yeah. But that was in March um, 2023. But also, you have a situation where 37% had applied for credit to manage their capital. 37%. Wow. So imagine you've got a problem, but what yeah. you're going to do, your, your sticking plaster is to apply for more credit in order to solve your problem. I've always found that was madness, absolute madness. It's like basically having loads of money in your deposit account and not paying off your mortgage, but taking taking out a loan to buy something else. It doesn't make any sense. Mm. So that's the sort of logic that sometimes people build up. But 90 days is a very, very important figure. If somebody hasn't paid you in 90 days, Mm -hmm. it is a problem. End of story. Simple as that. So once you've dealt with that, you've looked at how much you owe, you've re- realized that you're not going to, to get any loans, you've realized that anything above 90 days is a major problem and you need to act on it. You then need to then define or do de- divide your three piles. Yeah. You've got your late payers, your slow payers, and your late and slow payers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's three. So I'm um, a good business pays, which is a website which monitors bigger businesses that ch- tend not to pay. So um, they they monitor and sort of give out I wouldn't say prizes, but give out sort of acknowledgement for businesses that pay within a thirty day period. Oh, nice. No. Okay. Or pay promptly. Um, those are great. Uh, did you say that's good business pays? Yeah, good business pays.
0: Nice. Cool. So that's a website where you can actually go I guess particularly if you happen to work with large businesses yes, so you can get a sense of yeah so you can get a sense of if they if you suddenly do a six figure contract with them whether you're then going to have a nightmare for the
1: next year or exactly. not
0: yeah and, okay cool
1: And due diligence is is really important because this comes back to the dating analogy yeah. If you get together with somebody and then find out they're an axe murderer, but obviously their name has been all over the newspaper and you've not really taken it on board, then, you know, you put yourself in an awkward position. I mean, I've been around long enough where I know there are certain people that are dodgy and you probably shouldn't Mm. do business with them. And I can look at certain documents and see that, no, you might not want to do business with people like that because there's going to be a difficulty for you. So all of these things need to be taken into account. So once you've divided into late payers, slow payers, late and slow payers, you then have to then decide. Which of these people am I going to continue to do business with? One of the biggest problems that I have is when people say, oh, Clayton, you know, I I worked with them to a particular point and. You know, I should have canceled the services, but I kept on giving them services. And I'm sitting there having a, just wow. doing my Homer Simpson impression. I'm thinking, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And that's what people do. They're, it's like they're in for 5,000. so they say, well, let me supply another 5,000 pounds worth of services. Mm-hmm. Once you realize that somebody isn't paying, you can't continue to allow yourself to rack up more debt that's never going to get paid
0: i love that because that it, it's almost um it almost goes further on a concept which i've seen for you know uh, picking your clients and fi- firing your clients oh sometimes. yes we're going to get onto that <laughs> yeah it, but it's like often i've seen that in the realm of um you know painful clients to work with you know the ones that are high maintenance and um, they don't want to spend very much with you and you know it's the 20 percent of clients that cause 80 percent of your problem and actually you know don't give you the profit and whatever and so i've seen that before in in that context but the way that you've just introduced it as um actually it relates to cash flow too is really interesting because of course when we're looking at essentially firing a client you know letting go of a client that you're saying Let's say they're worth. Maybe they're a big client. Maybe it's. Oh, but that client's worth six figures to me. It's hundred thousand pounds worth of business per year, and we might argue. Oh, but if they take up uh, nine times the effort of any other client, actually, yes, it's a hundred thousand pounds. But that's opportunity cost. You you could be able to get another client worth hundred thousand pounds that would be a tenth of the effort, and then you could have ten of those clients, and that would be worth a million. And what's interesting is essentially you're saying the same, but for cash, it's almost like opportunity cost of having done a one hundred thousand pounds worth of business for them. And yet not getting that cash back into your business to help you survive, to help you grow means that you're and, and yet because you're serving them, you're not able to serve someone else. It's really, really interesting that through that lens, you can decide that, yeah, you know what? We don't work with slow, pay, uh, slow payers. It's, uh in fact, if anything, in the current market, we might value that more than the ones that are low maintenance. Right? We might say yes. actually, prefer a client who's a bit higher maintenance but pays fast versus a client that's low maintenance but pays slow. Yes. And that's um, that's really interesting. Okay, so we've. Uh, we've acknowledged the problem, we've got clarity, we've sorted it into to boxes, we've understood that yes, we need to to deal with this and we've decided that there are going to be some clients that we're not going to work with anymore uh, at all because they're just, it, yeah, it's too bad. And then, of course, we're going to have some clients where actually they just need chasing because for a lot of businesses, they're not even doing the chasing right to, to properly get these invoices in. It's one of the reasons um, mentioned in the green room, like we wrote this guide for business leaders on how to improve your cash flow by having processes. And it strikes me that a lot of the things that we're talking about are made so much easier when you've got a process in place that means that you're catching these invoices at 90 days and that you're, or well before, uh, and, and that you're going through that process to make sure that this stuff doesn't build up, right? And, um, I'll make sure that share the link in the show notes, but, um, for speed, it's at airmanual.link forward slash cashflow forward slash ebook, um, for people to like check out that. But it strikes me that you need that process in place, but how do you make sure that, you're doing the right things because because for a lot of people, they say, OK, you've, Clayton says I need to fire this client and I need to chase these invoices and starting with the big ones because they're actually easier to chase. But how? Like, I haven't got the experience that Clayton's got. Clayton's worked with debt recovery, he's worked in the courts. Like, how do I actually approach this next?
1: The thing is, if you're a business owner, it might not necessarily be prudent for you to do that. Nice. Because can you literally spend a day phoning ten, twenty people who never pick up? Mm-hmm. That's the question. The fact yeah. is, is that a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, I, I don't want to pay for debt recovery. I don't want to pay to chase late payments." And I always say to them, "Well, you think of your favorite business person, whoever it is, whether it's Richard Branson, Alan Sugar, whether it's..." Um, uh, Steve Jobs or whether it's you know, Elon Musk, whoever you you, you think is your business leader mm-hmm. do you think if there was money on the table that they worked for that they would be A not trying to chase it B, when it got to a particular point that they wouldn't escalate what a lot of businesses don't understand is, is that the power of a smaller business when dealing with a bigger business is having somebody to fight your corner. Mm. Because, you know, uh, there's a lot of things at the moment. There's a lot of people who are saying to people, oh, we've got an accountant's package and I'm going to z- single out zero. No hate to zero. I love you, zero. Um, I don't use you, but I love you. And uh, just to, I just want to, you know. <laughs> well, the thing is, they will then say to you, oh, you know, we've got these chasing mechanisms. Now, zero's chasing mechanisms are great they might even be really great but they don't make people pay <laughs> if somebody's avoiding you there's only so much that chasing mechanisms can do because mm-hmm. a yep. machine ch- churning out stuff and if it's somebody who's who is a, a genuine person, an honest person, who effectively says, "Oh my God, I didn't even realize I'd just gone on holiday. I'm, I've come back from a cruise, and now I'll, I've got this debt. And oh, I didn't realize. I'm really sorry." And those are the people that send you payment. Those are good people. They just basically have inadvertently forgotten. They've still got their straw donkey and their bolero hat on, and you know, so they, they you know, the sombrero hat on. They, 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 they've completely forgotten. However, there are people who you need to chase and that is when you need to escalate having the power of the escalation especially from a for a small business or a small to medium business is incredibly powerful but all because for example you know if you're talking about business leaders they know the importance about assigning certain jobs to certain individuals if you know that you're not the type of person to pick up the phone and say can you pay me then why would i spend Half a day doing that. That's my job. My job is to sit there and say, right, which 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 of the ways or the the stuff in my armory or my arsenal am I going to use in order to catch this person? Because it literally sometimes is a cat and mouse game. There are two ways about it. So I would then say to that person, there is something you can do for yourself. And I've got a list of things. And when you're ready for those, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share those with you. But there are a list of things that you can do to make your life easier. And uh, you know, some of those things, you know, will be, for example, if you do good work and you provide good quality services, it's harder for somebody not to pay you. Yeah. So yeah. if somebody comes and tiles your kitchen and they do a really good job, and your partner says, Whoa, that's a that's a fantastic this 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 floor looks amazing. You're less likely to say, oh, I'm not going to pay because it looks amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Was well, any flaws, cracks, etc., are likely to result in, wait, well, we're not paying until this is resolved or I'm just generally not very happy and so you get the big delays to payment.
1: Correct. Those are little things. If you can get money up front, for example, that's great mm. because people are used to paying up front now. They didn't used to be paying up front back in the day. I'd come from an era where at the end of the day it was Um, 28 days delivery oh you you know send something off you wait for 28 days or you wait for seven you could do that in the 21st century having a laugh people want it now i'm going on to amazon as we speak and i'm going to (laughs) and somebody will have it round in an hour so it's a completely different but you're used to paying up front and that's where Mm -hmm. the difference is so if you can if your business model accounts for upfront payment go for it That's another thing that will save you a lot of grief because you know what's got coming in. Subscriptions, another one. If you can get people on a subscription, the only problem with that is that sometimes people can switch that off just like that because they don't want the subscription any further. However, if you can factor in maybe for a three-month to a six-month drop-off, maybe that can work as well. All of these are things that can help you. The idea Mm. of chasing your money is something I feel that you can do, but it will sometimes will give you more stress than the debt yeah. you've already got. And that's what the problem is. You're trying to relieve yourself of stress. You're trying to breathe out, not inhaling all of this negative energy. And that's the problem with debt. It's, it's quite negative energy.
0: Yeah, agreed. I love that because it, it strikes me that there's a few things that essentially almost, if you like, preventative um, a debt management by, as you say, uh, finding ways in which you can change either your uh, payment process, the business model itself, uh, the way in which you deliver uh, your products and services that ultimately reduce um, slow payment, late payment, et cetera, which is awesome because, yeah, uh, prevention's definitely better than, uh, than treatment. Of course. And then, as you say, as part of your process for chase, like for chasing – Um, Yes, as the business leader, you do not want to be doing the end-to-end chasing. However, I can totally imagine that you might want members of your own team to be doing some of it, like a salesperson, they send an invoice, you would expect that salesperson to at least ask for payment or whatever, at least a couple of times before you're like, right, I'm getting in the bailiffs. But (laughs) by the same token, there should be a stage in your process. And if you haven't decided that and decided that, then the problem is that it goes on forever, right? It just uh, which I've experienced in my own businesses. Actually one of the worst things about that is the time it takes from your team. Never mind the cash that's out there, because as you say, sometimes the smallest amounts are the hardest to collect. And you'll have I've had it before where we'll have like they owe us, I don't know, $12 or something. And you just feel like this, you know, it's not even worth the time for a team member to ask me what we should do about it. Like as soon as we've even had that conversation, it's cost more than twelve dollars, and yet we're having to do this chasing. And the only reason we're having to do that is because we've essentially come to the end of our standard process <laughs> for for chasing it up, and still nothing. And of course, we're not hearing back and whatever. And I, I love your point around actually there needs to be somewhere where there's an escalation and that it does get out off your plate, off the plate for the leader, off the plate for the team. What are some of the options there? Because I'm conscious that for a lot of business leaders, the concern is that the industry of, you know, debt recovery, the way, where it goes outside of your business, where you've got someone, you know, I mentioned bailiffs. That's in my head, that's the image, right? It's the, it's the massive blokes yeah. who turn up and you know, put foot through crack of door, and it's going and taking the the big widescreen TV, and take taking that, and so on. Now I know that whereas you know the space in which you work, uh, you term ethical debt recovery. Um, and so, what are some of the options? What what's a better way for businesses that they want to, know, they perhaps maybe even. Um, d- either want to continue the relationships with customers although i take your point that you made earlier around those customers who you're getting to that point you probably should be making a decision that you're not going to work with them in future and therefore it is a much more transactional thing now which is i now just need the money like i'm not going to work with them anymore but i now just need the money but for a lot of business leaders, they'll be worried about what that feels like the the message that they're putting out there both real in terms of um, how they're seen, um, but also a sort of almost karmic of, of like, of you know, what does this feel like? So what would you terms as their options? How should it work in
1: today's, you know, modern world? The difficulty that most people have is that there is an image about collecting money. Mm. Wherever you are in the world, there's a, a negative image attached to the collection of money. Now, I always work on the principle that there's been a misunderstanding. Yeah. So I don't necessarily accuse my um, uh, the debtor or the person that I'm pursuing. And I don't necessarily take the approach that that person is in the wrong. Sometimes my client's in the wrong. Sometimes I've had to go back to my client and said, well, you told me that he hasn't paid because you were supposed to supply him a million widgets. And they'll say, yeah. And I said, but he has only got 900,000 widgets. He's a hundred thousand widgets short. Now, this gentleman who's who's the person who's only got 900,000 widgets, he's effectively saying, as far as he's concerned, he would pay if he gets a hundred thousand widgets. Now I'm the type of proactive um, person in the space that will say, give me a hundred thousand widgets and I'll take it down there (laughs) for you to transfer the money. So that's the pro, but it, it it comes across as almost like a joke. But you end up in a situation where I've e- ended up on a few occasions where the debtor has basically said, "Could you come and work for me?" Yeah. So you can't really get much better recommendation than that. no, indeed. So- yeah,
0: if the debtor's having that experience, then that's pretty exactly. So you,
1: it's about diplomacy. It's about diplomacy. And there's certain ways that you can do certain things that allow your client Mm. to retain that relationship should they choose it. And I always ask clients, do you want to retain the relationship? Because that's always my problem. It's never about bad feeling because this is all about business. And the problem with business is, is that you look at LinkedIn everybody is three degrees of separation away from each other. (laughs) So everybody technically can know everybody. There are certain things I won't put on LinkedIn because there are only three Clayton Cokes on LinkedIn. Literally there are only three of them. So therefore, as I said, it it makes it much easier to ruin your reputation. When I work for my clients and when our business works for our clients is everything is about retaining their reputation. I am their representative, so I have to act in a particular way. I have to approach things in a particular way. My clients uh, are not gangsters; they are, you know, decent, upstanding people who have good careers, good professions, and I want to represent that, and that's my job. So a lot of people, and that this has happened ever since I started the business. It's always been about oh is this going to ruin my business Mm. no it will actually save your business because if you don't try to recover outstanding monies because you're afraid of looking bad i've never seen that in anybody's playbook who's ever been successful can you imagine alan sugar feeling bad about recovering money
0: no no
1: i can't (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he'll say, listen mate, you owe me money you lost me money that would be Alan Sugar and sorry, sorry Lord Sugar at the end of the day just his <laughs> oh, yeah, he, def- he
0: definitely watches the show So you'll never know it. because
1: you can never tell but it's, it's the entirely supreme. possible actually yeah. It's yeah. Possible because that's what he would say you owe me money but yeah. he wouldn't do it in such a way he's, he's got lawyers for that he's mm. got people who will chase that for him Maybe back in the day when he first started, in the days of Amstrad, he'd ring up suppliers and say, now, what's the problem here? But that's the way that you need to do it. I think it's important for business owners not to be afraid to recover outstanding debt, but the person that you choose ensure that your values and their values align.
0: Nice. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so important, and uh, and I think, as you say, there is now there are now um, other uh, other options when it comes to debt recovery that mean that it it, it is more um, uh, gently done or uh, tactfully done or, or whatever, which I think is is great. Um, one of the concerns or um, beliefs that business leaders might have is, well, you know. The, the problem is not that we've just not delivered or, they're, you know, they haven't um, uh, or they haven't got our details to pay or whatever. The issue is that they don't even respond. It's like it's like they've just disappeared. How can debt recovery even work and get us that money if the person won't even pick up the phone, answer an email, etc.? cetera? Um, how does that in in your experience? Is that a Real concern in the in the sense of uh, is that how it plays out? How do you make sure that you can even like get through to people? And of course, um, but this will lead for useful tips of how to actually speak. You know, get hold of a customer who is just going quiet. Perhaps even earlier in the process. So, like, how do you go about
1: actually getting people to respond? (laughs) There's a saying back to interpersonal relationships: how it starts is how it ends okay now what happens with most people in business they don't really know much about the person that they're with they may have a number Mm -hmm. they may have an address but they don't have a lot of details about people because they don't know those people they know their public face they don't know them as an individual and i always say when you're doing business with people i often get emails where people say oh hi clayton blah blah i saw you on linkedin well, if you saw me on LinkedIn, why didn't you approach me on LinkedIn? Why are you sending me an email to my business email address? And actually I won't respond to that email. I'll go back into LinkedIn and I will contact that person and wait for them to respond to me on LinkedIn. I won't entertain anybody that comes to me direct to my inbox because I want to see who you're connected to, who's your relationship with, who do you know that I know that you know, etc. A lot of people are dealing with people that will not be able to be found. They will just literally disappear. Mm. And because we live in a world now where a lot of people are working from home or they've got um, uh, registered offices that they can give up at any particular point. It's not so easy to close a company, but it's easy to, to shut a company down over a period of time. You've also got people who they set up a website, they stop paying for the website, then they just completely disappear. So then Mm -hmm. it's our job to then basically spend X amount of time finding the person in order to then ultimately dispense any kind of late payment or debt recovery action. So having, you know, back to the Godfather again, version (laughs) one, you know, keep your friends. (laughs) <laughs> keep your I friends love it. Close, but... I love it
0: in the context of what you do as well with debt recovery. It's like, yeah, we're talking about ethical debt recovery. We're talking about you know cha- changing the the mindset around it and using it. It's like, and now we're three for three on references to gangster films, and two of them are Godfather. No, love it. Go Clayton. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it says keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. And the fact is, is that the the mistake that a lot of business owners do, they do have relationships with people yep. that they don't know. So mm-hmm. there's, no, there's no attachment. If somebody's done business with you and they treat you if effectively as just a person that they've done business with, there's no emotional attachment. So there's mm-hmm. no desire that they're going to bump into you, you know, at the golf club or, yeah. or the football match or whatever, and then feel a little bit bad about not paying you. And unfortunately humans need that kind of guilt stroke shame factor. Because once upon a time, X amount of years, it was terrible to be a bankrupt. You'd hang your head in shame. You'd be a person that would be, you know, hiding in corners just because you were bankrupt. No, Mm. it's like, Oh, I've had two bankruptcies. I've done this, but I've come back. (laughs) But how many businesses crashed as a result of those bankruptcies?
0: Yeah. So as a result, the key then is doing your research, like looking at understanding where they are. And um, yeah. And as a result, Finding other ways to reach them, I guess. You know, of if course, you, cause that's all you've job. got no. is an email address, that's yeah. and there, you're getting their responses, you're going to have to try other methods. If all you've well, got is a phone number, you're going you're gonna to have to find through different methods. As you say, it sounds like social media can be a really effective way uh, of doing that, of and other ways in which you can um, you can find them and and as I, I suppose get messages in front of them that make them feel similar to if they were passing you at the golf club (laughs) so that they feel like, ah, yeah, you know what? It'll be easier if I just pay this because otherwise this becomes a problem.
1: But of course, but remember one thing, unless you have some escalation in place, Mm. you need that card up your sleeve because unless you have that, you don't have any shock value. No. You don't have any shock value. That's the whole point. A lot of people don't seem to understand they, a lot of people would recover their money if they understood that they need to give something in order to get something. Mm. And for the most part, they don't necessarily understand that for the most part, you don't always end up paying a massive amount of money. But there are some people whose attitude is, I don't want to have to pay 10 or 15 or 20 percent of money that I've already, you know, I've, I've already, I'm already owed. And I get that I understand that logic, but the problem is at the moment you have nothing
0: mm. yeah powerful and so when when you can turn that round I guess I guess it becomes life changing for the business because totally. what when they're able to collect what they're owed and do so either through internal processes or pe- stages of the process where it's out to escalation and it goes through that, presumably it's you're seeing clients that go from under pressure and really struggling and damaging relationships to having relatively good positions in cash like what's what's can you give an example of like the biggest swing of gone from x to y like because it because the the risk is that it kind of feels like oh this feels like you know small marginal gains like okay well maybe five percent of my um payments are getting to a point of escalation, and then of those, maybe only half can be collected, and da da da. What's the reality of of impact? I think most people are
1: carrying about 10% and upwards of debt, easily. Right. Some, you know, there's some people who are extreme, but, you know, a lot lot of people factor in, because, don't get me wrong, people can use things like factoring or Mm -hmm. credit invoicing and stuff like that, but I always say, unless you're trying to grow your business for a specific purpose, And I have to use street analogy again. Don't get high on your own supply. (laughs) Because people are so used to getting credit. I remember meeting a chap once at an event and he was like, Yeah, I don't need you. I said, sorry, (laughs) you know, I I don't need you because guess what? I I get all my invoices paid as soon as they come out. Because you know, I've got a factoring company and they take 10%. Ah, okay. And I said, Well, yeah, but you're like a grown-up man riding a bicycle with stabilizers on. (laughs)
0: yeah and paying for it
1: (laughs) exactly the fact is if he said i'm doing this for a year or you know factoring Mm -hmm. an invoice discount in especially if you've got big clients if your client is ernst and young or kpmg and you want to factor your invoices for the most part you're going to get your money at some point if your client's tesco for the most part you're going to get your money if your client's aldi you're going to get yeah you're
0: just throwing money away through having the the factoring
1: because a lot of businesses don't factor in the idea that they may be waiting. Your terms of business may be 30 days, but Tesco's doesn't pay anybody in 30 days. Not that I remembered from the last time yeah. I looked at their credit report, that may have all changed. So yeah. people can shoot me down in flames, but the reality of it is no, the ultimate thing is, is that these guys don't pay people in, uh, within 30, especially if you're under a certain limit. I think if you're under a thousand pounds, at one point tesco didn't pay you in 30 days yeah so if you had a 700 pounds um invoice with them 30 days you weren't seeing that yeah wow
0: well there's uh unfortunately we're we're up on time but this has yeah. been uh awesome Like um clayton where can people learn more about you your work and of course the
1: uh, cash flow show fair enough that's thank you very much for the opportunity uh as clayton cope they can find me on LinkedIn under the name Clayton M. Coke. I think it's followed by FRSA, Fellow of the Royal Society yeah, of Arts. Um, they can also find me on the website, which is PRMSLTD, Papa Romeo Mike Sierra, Lima Tango Delta dot co dot UK. They can also find us on the podcast, which is the cashflow show. Um, and they'll see a picture of me wearing a shirt similar to this that they'll be able to um, uh, recognize and where we talk about things very similar to what Alexis is talking about here.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Clayton. Like, I, I knew that we'd be able to get some absolute gems from you in terms of cash flow and debt management, but particularly the way in which you've broken down some of the, the pieces around debt recovery, um, making it feel like something that should be a, a must as part of people's business processes, rather than a, um, a port of last resort, I think is is really crucial. And I think, as as you kind of teed up early on, the um, the issue is one of mindset as a as a starting point. Uh, and you and you've also given us a series of steps to go through uh, to really challenge it. So thank you so much for for yeah. sharing your insights
1: today. You're welcome. Most definitely. It's, it's been a pleasure to be here. And I hope that um, your audience gets some sort of focus and clarity from the things that I've suggested. It's by no means definitive, but it's a lot of it is quite practical.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. No, that's fantastic. And I hope, as you say, like for our listeners, you know, I hope this conversation has kind of shed light on some of the, um, both the emotional toll and the stress that can be associated with it. But I think a lot of that is a bit of a given. I think the the bit that I saw a huge value is that that clarity on um, what on both what steps need to be taken to safeguard your your business and in personal relationships and all the impact um, but also how comfortable those steps can be made because you know it's not just about surviving in business it's it's about thriving and having less stress so um, that's really powerful Um, so I absolutely love that highly recommend people check out uh, Clayton's resources I mentioned earlier that Um, My co-founder, Paddy, and I have uh, recently published a a guide for business leaders on improving cash flow, uh, on using processes to improve cash flow, which people can find at airmanual.link forward slash cash flow forward slash ebook. And you can get that as a free guide. Please do share it with anyone that you think uh, might uh, get value. Uh, Clayton, I'll be uh, I'd love your feedback on it as well. I'm yeah, sure that we've missed good. some pieces around how we make sure that debt recovery is part of uh, cash collection. So that'd be something for us to revisit. Um, but otherwise, Clayton, thanks so much for joining me on the Stress Your Business podcast. It's been an absolute it's- pleasure having you here. Thank you very
1: uh, much. It's been an absolute pleasure, Alexis. Absolute pleasure
0: cool fantastic and to everyone listening if you found d- value in today's conversation then we would love to hear about it please do share it on social media tag us in let us know your favorite key takeaway uh, we'd really uh, appreciate it it makes a big difference um but uh, yeah Clayton thanks again for joining me everyone else until next